listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today, Senior Pastor Brandon Williams begins a series entitled, You Can't Tell Me What to Do. Hearing that statement from a child is typical, but so often we as adults react the same way to God in our life. Listen as Brandon shares what godly authority should look like in our lives. But first of all, I want to welcome you. If you're a guest here, man, first time here, we are so excited you're here and just praying that the Lord really speaks to your heart and does some incredible things here. Um, excited about what everything that God's doing in the church, man, just seeing that uh, God is moving in so many different ways. I'm pumped about our children right now being able to be over in Connection Kids and in that new space and just having an awesome time learning about Jesus and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so um, that's going to be awesome. Um, today we're actually going to be in the, the book of uh, First Kings. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to First Kings chapter 1. Uh, if you don't know where that is, you can look at the table of contents. Nobody will judge you. It'll be all right, I promise. Um, but if you start at Genesis, go right. You'll see First, Second Samuel. Slow down. Be right after that, okay? So um, First Kings chapter 1. We're going to get there in just a few minutes. Um, but how about, Jeffrey, the video? So, now, now, a lot of us look at that video, and, and it's a grown man acting like a child, right? And we're like, oh. And if you've ever, if you've ever had children, you, you're a parent, you've probably heard those very words, haven't you? You can't tell me what to do. And and my kids have not said that yet. They still have all their teeth. They have not said that yet. Because it's infuriating for us to to hear that. And, and, And the thing that we realized, though, and the thing that I was thinking about as I was praying through this series and praying about doing this, is that so many times we're kind of like that, aren't we? They're like, as adults, as people who should be mature, we kind of act like that at different times. You can't tell me what to do. I mean, think about it. When, when you're, you're at work and, and your boss comes up and he's like, I need you to do this, I need you to do that, I need you to do that. And you walk away. You don't say it to their face usually because you need a paycheck. But you walk away and typically what do you? You're just mad. You can't tell me that. He can't tell me that. Husbands, when your wife tells you what to because let's be honest, wives, you're the boss. You're the boss. You can't tell me what to do. We probably all said it to our parents at some point in time. And this, this next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about this very thing. We're going to be talking about this, this issue of authority in our lives because nobody likes to be under authority. Everybody wants to be the authority, right? right? Like if you're not the boss right now at your job, you'd love to be the boss because it seems it's not that much fun, I promise. Like there are times when Susan and I go to eat and I've been making decisions all week and I've been having to think through things and, just, and I'm just like, where do you want to go eat? And what does she say? It doesn't matter. Wherever you want to go. Okay, how about Mexican? Well, anything but Mexican. <laughs> well, let's go to Longhorn. Well, I, I just, I don't, Longhorn just doesn't sound good. Okay, where do you want to go? Wherever you want to go. <laughs> and all that I want is like, just make a decision. I don't want to have to make the decision. We can eat Subway. We can eat a Big Mac. It doesn't matter to me. Just make the decision. But, but the problem is for us, we think that if we can ever get to that place of being the decision maker, all our problems are solved, when in reality, it typically just brings more problems. And so we're looking at this over the next two weeks. Next week, we're actually going to look at the, the authority of God's Word, and, and we're going to look the next week at the authority of the church in our lives and how that works, because those are really the two primary sources of authority God's given us so that we can um, fulfill the purposes that He's created us for. And so we're going to be looking at those things. Today we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, we're going to get to verse 49 in just a minute. It's where we'll be starting. But I imagine that everybody in here today has been in a situation before where you said something you wish you could take back. Anybody? Yeah, Susan tells our kids all the time, like, don't say that. You can't take back those words. And husbands, wives, there's things that we've said before that we wish we could take back. It's like as they're coming out of our mouth, it's almost slow motion, and we're like this. But we can't catch them, right? And they come out, and we say, I remember when I was, I was about 12 years old. I was in my room doing something. My dad comes in, tells me to do something that I did not want to do. We get into an argument, which he always won those things, man. I, I, I was like... O for 100. You know what I'm saying? I never won those arguments. And he comes into my room. He starts telling me what to do. He tells me something I don't want to do. And finally, I'd had enough of it. And I said, that's fine. I'll just leave. Slow motion. That's fine. It came out about like that. I was like, what have I done? And he kind of just walked away. I was like, that's right. 
And a second later, he sticks his head in the door and he says, let me tell you something. I'm going to give you the PG version of this, okay? He says, let me tell you something. If you ever threaten to leave again, don't let the door hit you in the butt on the way out. All right? And he had that look in his eye. Like I knew he was not playing. I knew that this was not just a, a, a suggestion of what he might do. This was going to happen. And so I never uttered those words again. But here's the reality of that statement that he made. is like, listen, basically, son, you can live under this roof. You can have a free place to live. How many of you would like to have a free place to live now? Like growing up, it wasn't a big deal. But now that you pay the mortgage and you, or you pay the rent or you, you pay your own utility bills, a free place to live is awesome. And basically he's saying, son, you can have a free place to live. You can have the free food. You can have a free transportation system. You can have everything. You can have air conditioning. Thank God for air conditioning when it's 194 like it is right now. And, and he's like, you can have all this stuff, but you need to understand one thing. It's going to be on my terms. It's going to be the way I say it's going to be. And none of us like that, do we? None of us, when we were teenagers, loved to submit to the authority of our parents. In fact, teenagers today, you're like, man, if I could just, I'll just leave. If I could leave, if I had my own place, if I could do this, if I could do that. And then you actually do leave and you start paying for your gas and your bills and all that stuff. And you're like, I want to go home. But there's this thing inside of all of us. That, that tends toward rebellion. There's this thing inside of each one of us that, that wants to go against authority. We don't want somebody telling us what to do. I was thinking about that story, and here's the truth about that story. Listen, in the same way that with my earthly father, I could have all the benefits that he had to offer. I could have a, a good relationship, a healthy relationship. I could have a free place to live. I could have all the blessings that comes with, with having a good earthly father. I could have all of that. But the reality was it was going to be on his terms. Here's the thing we've got to understand, church. We can have all the blessings that our heavenly father has to offer. We can have all of the, the love and the healthy relationship. We can come to our heavenly daddy and we can, we can walk in the security of knowing that he's got us. He's holding us. He is with us but it's going to be on his terms like you can't do anything to earn his love you can't do anything to make him quit loving you but he will let you walk away think about the prodigal son which is a depiction of the father's love for for us did he let him walk away yes did he reap destruction in his life because he walked away from the one who had all the blessing who had all the the love who had all the protection Yes. So we need to realize that this rebellion in us, we've, we've got to come to a place where that, that's done away with. Where rather than turning from God into sin, we turn to God into life. The book of uh, Romans in chapter 10, it tells us two things about coming to, to the Lord and, and about being saved. And, and it's really important to get this because there's two things. One of them we really like, one of them we don't like so much. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that in order for us to be saved, in order for our sins to be forgiven, in order for us to be reconciled to God, for Jesus to take our sin and give us his righteousness, he says two things. He says, one, that you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And two, that you have to believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. In other words, you have to believe in your heart that he is who he says he is. Right? That he is the savior. He is the forgiver. He's the one who offered mercy. He is the one who does not hold our sins against us. We like that, don't we? You ever heard a message about Jesus loving us and being our forgiver? Yeah, that's awesome. And God is good. The part we like to skip over is the very first part. That we confess with our mouth that he is Lord. And one of the most misunderstood things in Scripture today is the Lordship of Christ. I think one reason is because we live in this democracy where we all have a vote, right? I just went and voted last week. Awesome, man. I was really honored to be like, man, I live in a country. I can go vote, man. That's awesome. Do it again in November, man. Awesome. But here's the thing, like, it's not a democracy with God. Like, he's never needed our opinion for anything. 
He never woke up confused. Like, what am I going to do today? He never woke up needing direction. He's pretty much got that under control. The thing we need to realize is that when he says we do, that when we say Jesus is Lord and Savior, that that means he has full rule and reign over our lives. And the thing we need to realize is it's not so that God can be some just tyrant God that's slapping us upside the head whenever we do something wrong. It's because he wants to bring life. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. And God wants to lead us down straight paths, paths of righteousness to life in him. I just want us to begin to ask the question, who's king of our life? Who is really the king of our life? Not who we just say is the king, but is Jesus truly king over our lives? Who sits in the place of authority in your life? Who's on the throne of your life? Is it the real king? Or are we trying to put ourselves on his throne? Because here's the thing. I don't know if any of you have ever been to church before. If this ever happens to you, come tell me because we need to put a, a pop knot on somebody's head. You ever been to church before and you sit down and then somebody comes walking up to you and stands beside you and you're like, <clears throat> how you doing? <clears throat> what? You're in my seat. Anybody ever had that happen? Isn't that crazy? Like you're in my seat. Oh, I didn't see your name tag. My bad. And they usually got their lips like, like that. Look like they just chewed on a lemon. Like you're in my seat. Oh, and you... Just, just move. Just move. It's just easier that way, right? But they come in and we find ourselves in their seat. And so they ask us to move. Here's the thing I would encourage you with. Here's the thing I would challenge you with. Jesus doesn't give up his seat for anybody. Right? He is the king of kings. He's the undisputed champion. He's like 1,542,000. No one's ever defeated him. He is on the throne and he will be for eternity. No one would displace him. If we're trying to, to put ourselves in his place, we're fighting a losing battle. The question I would ask you is, who is the king of your life? Who is truly the king of your life? I want to show you a little bit about what rebellion against the king does. And, and that's where we're going to pick up in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 49. There was this guy named Adonijah. Because here's the thing, rebellion is sin, sin is rebellion. They, they both lead to death. They masquerade as paths to life, but in the end, they lead to death. They try to tell us that life will be better if we go our own way. And in reality, the only way to find life is in following Christ. So look at this. First Kings chapter one, verse 49. There's this guy. His name's Adonijah. He was the son of King David. Anybody heard of King David? David and Goliath. You know what I'm saying? I may have never been in church before ever. You've heard of David and Goliath. And so David is about to die. He's very weak. They know he's about to pass. His son Solomon has already been declared by God to be the next king. And so he's just waiting for David to put him on the throne. But Adonijah, one of David's other sons, who was a rebellious son, mainly because David had never stepped into his life to insert authority and to teach him what authority was about. Hello, dads, let's step up. And he goes, and so in, in the end, Adonijah just decides, I'm going to be king. I was reading this a while back, and I was like, that is a perfect picture of what we often do in our lives. That we decide, I'm going to be king. He even says it. At the first of this chapter, he says, I will be king. Wouldn't that be awesome if you could just be like, I will be president. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm going to the white. That don't work. And, and yet Adonijah decides, I will be king. But I want you to see what happens when he begins to try to place himself on the th throne of, of his father. And this is the same thing that begins to happen to us when we begin to place ourselves on the throne of our father. Verse 49 says this, At this, all Adonijah's guests rose in alarm and dispersed. All these people he had rallied to himself, all of a sudden they're like, See ya. And they, they check out. Why? Because his plan's been found out. David has heard that your son, who wasn't declared by God to be the king, has put himself on the throne. It says, but Adonijah, in fear of Solomon, who was the real king, went and took hold of the horns of the altar. Then Solomon was told, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, is clinging to the horns of the altar. He says, let King Solomon 
swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Solomon replied, if he shows himself to be a worthy man, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground. But if evil is found in him, he will die. The King Solomon sent for men, sent men, and they brought him down from the altar. That's important. They brought him down from the altar and Adonijah came and bowed down to the King Solomon. And Solomon said, go to your home. The first thing you need to understand, when we try to put ourselves on the throne, we rebel against God and we try to insert our own authority into our own life, rather than following him, we suffer broken fellowship with God. You cannot rebel against God and be in fellowship with God. Rebellion is sin. You cannot pursue sin and pursue God at the same time. I don't believe there's coincidence that in Scripture he went and he tried to hide on the altar. He tried to get to the, he didn't think they'd kill him on the altar. So Solomon's like, that's fine. I'll just take you off of there. We'll take you outside and kill you. And the altar represented the presence of God. Anytime we begin to try to insert ourselves as the authority of our life, determining what we will or will not do, we lose fellowship with God. You cannot be in a healthy relationship with God and continue to do the same things you want to do. It means you and I submit to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Isn't there something rebellious in every one of us? There truly is. The reason that, that the book of Romans is true and all have sinned, that means all of us. You're here for the first time. You never walked in the doors of a church. We're all sinners. Nobody in here is better than you. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And the reason that is true is because we're all rebellious. We are all rebellious people. And sin, rebellion, separates us from God. Man, we always get emails and things at the church. Like somebody will email and they won't help for something or they'll come by and talk and they won't help and the minute we like this is what you need to do I can't tell you how many people never email back or even they just quit coming to church altogether they just disappear we're like this is what you need to do you know turn from this turn to the Lord turn from this and and turn to life and we'll try to help people turn around and walk out of this thing walk out of disobedience and walk to the Lord break with the sin and find life and it's so amazing to me how many people choose to not go that route we'll try to um, restore somebody in the church and we're like listen you can't do this anymore this is not right you need to honor God you call yourself a Christian live for the Lord And they just disappear. They go to another church. They do different things because there's something in us. We don't realize that that, that, that this rebellion has nothing to do with just getting rebuked. It has everything to do with our relationship with God. we got to come to a place where we submit to that. I'll see the people. They'll be at Walmart and and I'm walking and they'll see me and they're like, oh. It's 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 like two Baptists in the liquor store, man. They're like this. You know what I'm saying? That was, that was a joke. If you're Baptist, like, it's cool, man. We love Baptists. But it's true. It's like we, we just ignore it and think it'll go away. It doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. I wrote a blog a while back. I had no idea it stirred up so much think until finally I, I was going back here for prayer right before the service and two of our prayer people were like, huh? Yeah, I know. She was mad. I was like, what was mad about that block you wrote? I was like, really? Like, yeah. I was like, what would I say? Like you said, you know, you can't pursue sin and, and pursue Jesus at the same time. What else did I say? They got mad about that? The reality of it is, listen, we don't like to be told that our sin separates us from God. But scripture is very clear that sin separates us. From Jesus, rebellion and putting ourselves on the seat of authority separates us from God. We can't pursue Him and pursue our own desires. We do what He says because He says so. The second thing it does is it brings broken fellowship between us and others. We cannot have fellowship with others when the only thing we're thinking about is ourselves. Not biblical fellowship. We can have shallow relationships, but we can't truly have biblical fellowship until we put God on the throne of our lives. Next thing that happens is we have a, a broken life. We just have a broken life. This is the thing that I know. There are people in here today, right now, that you're not living, you're just existing. And every day of your life is just, God, help me get through this day. 
the reality of it is that Jesus came. Very clear in the Gospel of John, Jesus came to give us life and to give it abundant. The reason we're not experiencing life is because we're not turning to the life giver. We're not looking to Him to give us life. We're not abiding in Him so that He can bring forth the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to come to this place where we realize that Jesus wants to heal our broken life. I want to look back at the beginning of 1 Kings chapter 1. And what I want to do is I want you to see some of the things that have to happen in order for us to, one, put ourselves on, on the throne of our lives, to begin to rebel against the authority of Jesus, to try to make ourselves king. And I want us to see that, that listen, we don't have to live that way. We can submit ourselves to the authority of God. Flip back over. You've kind of seen the ending. Now I want you to see the beginning of what happened. And I'll give you three things real quick that, that, that take place when we begin to put ourselves on the throne of God. Beginning in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 1, it says, When King David was old and well, advanced in years, he could not keep warm, even when they put covers over him. This is what I'll tell you. King David was weak. Adonijah saw an opportunity. So they couldn't even keep him warm when they put covers over him. So his servants went to, or said to him, let's look for a young virgin to attend the king and take care of him. She can lie beside him so that our Lord the king may keep warm. They searched throughout Israel for a beautiful girl and found Abisha. I got no idea how you say that. A Shunammite and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful. She took care of the king and waited on him. But listen, the king had no intimate relations with her. Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I'll be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. So he says, listen, I'll be king. But one scripture that's very important in there is it says the girl was very beautiful. In verse four, she took care of the king and waited on him. But the king had no intimate relations with her. But the NIV really cleans this up. Basically, what they did was they went and found a beautiful virgin girl to come in and lay with the king. Laying with the king does not mean what we typically think about laying with somebody. Okay? We'll talk about that in about a month. All right? Laying with the king meant having intimate relations. Adonijah is watching all of this. He's taking it all in. He sees it all taking place. And he looks and he's like, He's not even having sex with this beautiful young virgin. Look how weak he is. If there's ever been an opportunity for me to insert myself as king, now's the time. The first thing I want you to understand that happens when we begin to put ourselves on the throne is that we underestimate the power of the king. We underestimate the power of the king. Too many times we look and we say, what an opportunity. What an opportunity. And yet God's like, oh, don't do that. I've already shown you the path of life. Yeah, because we feel like, man, Jesus is my homeboy. Right? Isn't that kind of what we've resorted to now? Jesus is just my homeboy. What's up, Jesus? I never see anybody in Scripture that reacts that way. We'll look at that in just a second. But Jesus is the risen king the sovereign lord he is not weak and the question i really 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 want to ask you in regards to the king's power is in your life in your heart does jesus have the power to do what he says he will do does he have the power to do it is ezekiel 36 right that jesus can take our rebellious heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh that desires to obey the lord does he really have the power to do it does he have the power to take our jacked up life and resurrect it our broken heart and put it back together does he really have the power to do it does he have the power to forgive us of our sin the power to let us in, or enable us to overcome addiction the power for us to step up and become the man of the house, the spiritual leader of the house. To do the things that God's created us to do. Does he really have the power to give us the abundant life that the word of God declares he has the power to give us? Because here's the thing, if we truly believe that, why would we take him off the throne? 
Why would we try to insert ourselves if we don't believe that we can do a better job? Listen, if, if you're here today and you need encouragement that Jesus can do exactly what he says he can do, I want to give that to you. I want you to know that you have a king who, who can do everything he has declared and will do everything he has declared. And I don't know where you've been and I don't know what you've done. I don't know what's been done to you. I don't know what you're walking through right now. Some of you, and listen, you might watch this online. It's cool. Hey, how you doing? And listen, you can watch it online now. And I don't know what you're going through or what's taking place, but this is what I want you to know. If you need encouragement today, I want to reassure you that the King of Kings can do everything he has declared. He loves you like you can never imagine being loved. And he desires to step into your situation if you'll let him. That's the King that we serve. Also, listen, and this is for some of you in here today, and I'm going to say what I mean and mean what I say. Some of you need to be rebuked because you're walking in pride and you think that you can do more than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hello, you can't. And you need to humble yourself so that Jesus can exalt you and raise you up. Some of you act like Jeffrey. In fact, wives, don't go home and call your husband Jeffrey unless that's his real name. You just act like Jeffrey. It might be true, but it's not going to help the healing process. Don't do that. But some people today, they need to be rebuked. And listen, they need to remember who's the king. Not me, not you. Jesus. And that's who we surrender to. That's who we submit to. This is the thing I hear all the time from people. is like Christianity is just for the weak. It's for people who can't make it on their own. My answer used to be to try to defend that statement. Do you know what I found out? They're right. I'm the one that's weak. I'm the one that needs the strength of God. The only problem for them is they're living behind this fake facade that tells them they don't need it. And the reality is they can't survive without it. Jesus is the one who's strong. He's the one who never backs down. He's the one that rules and reigns. Listen to this. I just, I got to read this to you. And I go to this verse a lot because, man, it just fires me up, man. It's awesome. Revelation chapter one, verse nine. This is when John on the island of Patmos has a revelation of Jesus. John does not get up, chest bump Jesus, high five him. And it's like, what's up, homeboy? Check this out. He says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance, that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of the Lord and the testimony of Jesus. In other words, I've been exiled because of the persecution of the church and the gospel I preach. He says, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And listen, when I turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands. Don't freak out. It's not like he's not on acid. These are representative of the church, okay? And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man referring to Jesus, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. Listen to this. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was brilliant like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his, listen man, he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Does that sound like a weak king? John didn't chest bump him. He fell at his feet as though he were dead. This is our king. His eyes are blazing like fire. His face shines brilliantly like the sun. And my heart breaks because some people out here today need to hear this. You need to hear him say, I was the first. I will be the last. I was dead and I'm alive. And I hold the key to death and hell. And I've overcome them. You can have life in me, but don't come to Jesus like he's some weak king to be chest bumped and high five. He is the one who gets we bow down to, who we worship with everything that we have, who we surrender our lives to. When he says go, we go. When he says stop, we stop. When he says bow, we bow. When he says lift up your hands, you lift up your hands. When he says get on your face, you get on your face. 
Because he is the king of kings and the Lord of Lord. He's not too weak. Listen, when Jesus walked the earth, he took on an entire religious establishment and he shook it to its foundation. Listen, he went to the cross and he endured a criminal's cross. He got his back torn, slapped off. Only in the South do you say slap off. But he got his back torn, slapped off. He, he was beaten to a pulp. He endured a criminal's cross. Listen, he, he, he was dead, buried, put in a tomb. And on the third day, he stepped out, slept the devil in the teeth. And it's like, that all you got, punk? He endured the wrath of a holy God so that you and I could be made right. He endured the wrath that should have been for us. He, he, he reconciled us back to God, taking our sin upon himself and the punishment that we deserve. That is not a weak king. We should bow. We should submit. When he speaks, we should move. When he says go, we should go. Why? Because he said so. Anybody ever use that with your kids? And I know like people are like, you shouldn't just say, you should explain. I'm like, sometimes you don't have time to explain. I would say it's like when they run out in the road or something like that, but it's just at Walmart. You know what I'm saying? Don't do that. Why? I said so. Enough. And I kind of like that because there's going to be times in their life when God says, don't do that. Why? I said so. And I'm the authority of your life. Do what I'm telling you to do. Trust me that I have your best in mind. The second thing, listen, out of 1 Kings chapter 1. So we have to get to a place where we no longer underestimate the real king's value. Listen, beginning uh, in verses 9 and 10. It says, Adonijah then sacrificed cheap cattle and fattened calves at the stone of Zahalal near Enrogel. He invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah who were royal officials. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet or Benaiah or the special guard of his brother Solomon. Basically what Adonijah does is he throws himself a big party. He went and got his daddy's chariots and some of his men who agreed to follow him and says, hey, I'm going to be king. Why don't you come follow me? And he gets the chariots and all these people running out ahead of him and they get to a place and he begins to make sacrifices that weren't to God, they were to himself. Literally began to make empty religious sacrifices to himself. People in those days, they sacrificed to God, not to themselves. He put on this facade of religion, and yet at the core of who he was, it was all about him. The thing he doesn't even realize is that everything he had and everything he was using, it was his father's. And so many times we come to this place as Christians and as non-Christians that we just take the goodness of God for granted. We just begin to take all the things that our father has given us. Listen, if you're not a Christian, you're breathing, thank God. If you are a Christian, it's easy for us to get to this place where we begin to take the goodness of God, the value of his kingship, the value of him being our heavenly father, the value of all that he's blessed us with for granted. For example, a couple of weeks ago, I went to the dentist. Anybody like the dentist? Like, There's two words that will bring a grown man to his knees. Dentist, drill. Right? There's just something about the sound of it. And listen, man, it's gotten so much better. I remember when I was a kid, I'd be in a crime, man. It felt like they were just sticking a needle through my mouth. I didn't feel a thing. But still the thought of the drill just freaks me out. And, and I went to the dentist, hadn't had anything wrong with my teeth for like teeth, my teeth for like 20 years. I get there, they had to work on three different places. And I was realizing, like, you know what? All those years, all those 20 years that I didn't have any problems, that everything was good, that I began to take all that for granted. But when I'm in there with a big needle stuck in my mouth and then a drill is like, you know, going off in my teeth, I'm like, man, I wish I could have that back. Man, I took it for granted all the, the good times. I took for granted all the good news I had received. And so many times as Christians, this is what happens to us. We get so used to the blessings of our, our father. We get so used to a good king who rules and reigns over us that we begin to take him for granted. We begin to not appreciate the value that he's given us. Paul wrote about that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, again, I tell you, rejoice. He says, I'm writing these same things to you, Philippians, because it's no trouble to me, but it's a safeguard to you. What's he telling them? Don't forget the value of God. Worship 
God because of the value that he has. Don't listen. You're going through trials. You're going through tribulations. You're going through some junk. But the reality of it is don't forget the value of the king. He says, I love you. It's no trouble for me to remind you, but it's a safeguard to you. Worship him. There's times. Listen, people, we just need to get by ourselves or we need to be wherever we're at. Put ourselves in our own little prayer closet with God. And we just need to worship God for who he is. I told a guy the other day after We'd had a message on a hell. And he was like, man, that message meant a lot to me. He said, I was out on the lawnmower the other day. I was like, I was cutting grass. He's like, the whole time, I'm just worshiping God and thanking him for what he's done in my life. And sometimes I think we need to remember what God has done in our lives and the value of the king that we have, the value of our eternal father. Because if we know the value that he has in our lives, we don't try to bump him off the throne. We don't try to bump him off the throne. So whether we're cutting grass, we're like, I don't know about holding you. Like people, they might think you're weird, okay? But that's okay. But whatever you got to do to remind yourself to rejoice in the Lord for what he's done, what he's doing, who he is, don't forget his value. I would ask you this. How's your worship of Jesus? Are you worshiping out out of a revelation of the value of God? I'm not talking about just coming in and singing songs. I'm talking about your life right now. If you were to step back and look at your life, is your life a life that is worshiping Jesus? Is it defined by who he is and what he's done? Because here's the reality, until we recognize the value of Jesus in our lives, he'll never become the object of our worship. And until we recognize the value of Jesus and he becomes the highest value in our lives, we'll never see his importance and the value of him for other people. The reason we don't often share him is because we don't recognize how valuable he is. And he holds no value in our lives. The reason we're overcome by fear to share our faith is because we don't recognize how how, how important this is. Jesus told this parable in Matthew 13, 44. And what he said was, he said, listen, there was this guy and he found a treasure in a field. He said when he found the treasure, he went and sold everything he had. He went and sold everything he had and he bought that field. He sacrificed everything he had to get that treasure, to find it, to have it. And sometimes for us, we need to realize that that whatever we give up, whatever we turn away from, we gain so much more. And we're not going to sacrifice for others until we truly recognize the value that Jesus has in our lives. What we value most will ultimately drive our lives. Is your life being driven by Jesus? Is is your worship of Jesus driving your life so that you're building his kingdom or are we making empty sacrifices to ourselves? Listen, is our worship of Jesus driving our lives or are we making empty religious sacrifices to ourselves? Is it still about us? I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions and let you think about that. Number one is this, who decides how your money's spent? Is Jesus the king? Is Jesus the king until he sticks his hand in your wallet? It always gets uncomfortable when we start talking about money in church, but the reason is because for many of us, that's our God. Is Jesus deciding how you spend your money? Is Jesus deciding how you spend your time? Are you living your life from, from the authority of God saying, this is what you need to be doing? Or is it our own desires that are driving us? Or is it God's desires for us? Listen, do we spend more time on Facebook reading all of our friends' stuff? Or do we spend more time in the Word? Would we rather tweet about God or spend time with God? Will we settle for shallow social network relationships when we can have a relationship with the King of Kings? No, no. What determines how we raise our kids? Is it culture? Does culture determine how we raise our kids? Do we just do things according to culture because that's how it's been done? Or do we truly look to God and say, God, how do you want me to raise them? Do we settle for the cultures around us standards? 
Are we truly a strange people, an alien people that live differently from the world? Do we really expect the same thing from our kids as we do from, from the children of, of, of people who don't know Christ? Do we have a higher standard because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords wants to direct their paths? Do we just go and buy our teenage daughter's birth controls and buy our son's condoms just so that they don't make the mistake or, or because we certainly don't want to embarrass them or embarrass ourselves, right? Are we letting culture dictate what we do, how we raise our children? Because the last time I checked and the last time I read this word, it says that we should be setting the course of our lives. It says that God should be changing culture through us, not us conforming to the culture around us. Right? You have a God who desires to use you to change the world, not for the world to change you. We should be the ones setting the course. We should be the ones changing culture. Who decides who you date? Who decides who you marry? Who decides what you do with your life? Who decides the purity of your life? Hormones or the Holy Spirit? Let me ask you this. If God is able to keep this world spinning, and he's able to keep us attached to this little ball. And he can control everything that goes on in our lives. Don't you think he's big enough to control our hormones? Don't you think he's big enough to do in our lives what we think can't be done, what culture would say cannot be done? Who controls your purity? And don't tell me that you prayed about it and it's okay. That voice didn't come from the Holy Spirit. It came from your pants. Who's the authority in your life? Is it Jesus? Or is it yourself? Who's the king? Who's the king of your life? What about your church attendance? When you walk in here, who are you singing songs to? If you get here by the time the music starts, who are you singing songs to? Are we singing to ourselves? Or are we singing to Jesus? That's why we get here to sing. We don't sing. We don't come in and sing just as a precursor to the message. We come in and sing because we're worshiping the King of Kings. To surrender our lives and to say, Jesus, you're everything. You are everything. I hear people, oh, well, I just don't like the music. Well, we're not singing to you. Like if we were singing to you, we'd be like, hey, you like this music? Because we want it to be pleasing to your ears. We want it to be pleasing to his it's not the music we sing, it's the attitude of our heart. How is our church attendance? How's your Bible reading? Is your Bible reading, is it full of conviction? Is our prayers, are they full of desperation? Is our church attendance void of the presence of God? Is our life producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Listen, is He ruling and reigning over our lives? There's some people in Scripture, man, we look at it. Look at the life of Noah, man. Go back and look at these people who were surrendered to God. They saw the value of God and they surrendered their lives to Him. Think about Noah. How would you like to be Noah? He's hundreds of years old. And God's like, build a boat. Makes no sense. They never seen rain, yet He builds a boat and He preserves humanity. Abraham, God just says, Abraham, come with me. I'm going to take you to a land that you don't even know about. Okay. And yet he becomes the father of many nations, the patriarch of our faith. Moses trusted God to do the impossible. He was a stutterer. And God goes, I want you to go speak to the most powerful man in the world and deliver my people. He's like, I can't do that. But he did the impossible because he trusted God. He saw the value of God. He knew that God had the power to do what he promised. I think about that with Jackson all the time, my middle son, because he, was, he, he stutters. He's got a stutter. He's getting better, but he still stutters. But the morning that he was born, I held him in my arms and I told Susan, I said, he's going to be the preacher. And I remember sitting there holding him and I'm like, he's going to be the preacher. And then he comes out and he's the one that stutters. But don't you know that God uses people who aren't perfect? We surrender our lives to him and we trust our lives to him. He uses people who've made mistakes, who, who've done things that aren't right, who can't speak well to speak the truth. And the reality of it is that he wants to use us. David, he was willing to follow in the face of opposition. David and Goliath, man, he attacked the giant. 
He knew the value of his God. He knew the power of his God. Jesus was willing to give his life for billions who he knew would ultimately turn their back on him, who would spit in his face, who would ultimately just completely deny him. Do we place value on that king? The last one I'll tell you is that Adonijah underestimated the consequences. He underestimated the consequences of putting himself on the throne and he avoided the truth at all cost. Here's the thing that he did. Listen, he didn't invite the people that knew what God had already declared. He didn't invite Zadok, the priest, or Benaiah, or the special guard who knew that Solomon was supposed to be the real king. He just invited people that would tell him what he wanted to hear. There are people in here right now that, listen, you avoid at all costs people who will tell you the truth. Right? Like, like you're making a financial decision and you've got that friend that is a tight wad. You know what I'm saying? And you see them coming and you know you're about to do something stupid with your money. Like, I don't want to talk to them. You just avoid them. And so many times we're like that in church. In fact, so many times we walk into church and we treat church almost like eating a watermelon. Where it's like we swallow the part that's good and we spit out the seeds. Right? Or like my older son, Dake, when he eats a steak, like if there is a little bit of fat on the steak, he will not eat it. I'm like, give me that, boy. You know, it is more steak for me, which is awesome. He won't eat it. The other day we were at RJ's, he ordered a steak medium. It comes out, it is like barely rare. And, and, and he cuts into it and like the blood runs out on the plate. I'm like, son, you want to send that back and get it cooked? He's like, no, nah, I'll eat it. And so he's eating it. And I got to admit, part of me was proud. You know what I'm saying? Like I look over there and he's got this, this slab of raw meat in his hand and blood dripping off his hands. I'm like, that's my boy. I'm like, I'm putting that on Twitter. He's got blood. He's like, you know. And I'm like, you'll eat that, but you won't eat it with a little piece of fat on it. And he's like, it was good. I'm like, all right, man, whatever. But so many times we come into church and that's what we do. We get to this place where it's just we take what we like and we spit out what we don't like. We take what's pleasing and we won't digest what's not. And the thing that I want you to hear and listen to me, everything I've said this morning, it's not to bring you to a place of condemnation or to bring you to a place of shame. Listen, it's to bring you to a place to realize that God wants His best for you. God wants to give you life. He wants to infuse you with the power of His Spirit so that you can live in the abundant life, the abundant joy that comes from a relationship with God. We need to realize that all of God's word, even what's unpleasing to us, is a source of his grace so that we can live in the life that he's called us to live. Don't underestimate the consequences of turning from it. We see in Adonijah's life, it cost him broken fellowship with the Lord. It cost him broken fellowship with other people. It cost him broken, uh, a broken life. It always leads to death. Rebellion is sin and sin leads to death. Who is on the throne? of our life. How are you responding to the truth of God's word? Are you offended by it? Or do you hear it and know God desires the best for me? Listen, how you respond to God's truth is going to depend on two things. The last two things that I'll tell you. The first one is this. It depends on your opinion of yourself. How you hear God's truth depends on one your opinion of yourself. Do you see yourself as a child of God? Do you see yourself as a child of God? Do you see yourself as a son or daughter who, is, who God is crazy about? Who, who, who Jesus died for? Who wants the best for your life? Or do you see yourself as an enemy of God? Listen, everybody in here has some sin that you're, you're, you're dealing with. There's not one perfect person in here. Do you see yourself as one that God is an enemy with? Or do you see yourself as one that God desires to draw closer and to use to transform for His glory? How do you see it? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself, listen, as damaged goods? Do you see yourself as somebody 
It's unusable by God. Go ahead and just read the Bible and see how many jacked up people God used. He loves to use messed up people. People who made mistakes, people who have done things that aren't right. Why? Because when He transforms our life, it gives Him glory. The second thing that will determine how you hear the truth of God is your picture of Him. Is He a vicious tyrant who only seeks to thump you on the back of the head by catching you doing something wrong? Or is He a God who desires to step into your situation right now and move in your life? I would say that He's already stepped in. He stepped in through Jesus. And right now his desire is simply that we would surrender our lives to the King of Kings, completely sell out, cut ties with our own life and move away from it towards him. How do you see? this is what the Bible says. It says that he's a loving God who will stop at nothing to bring you to himself. We have to recognize that he is the king. We can't insert ourselves on his throne. We have to come to a place where we surrender. This is what I know in here today is that there are people in here, many people, maybe every person in this room today has in some way placed themselves on the throne that should be reserved for Jesus. In some way, we're guiding our own life rather than trusting God and allowing Him to dictate the things that we do. Rather than allowing that relationship that we have with Him to overflow into the fruit of our lives. My question to you today is, truly, who's the king of your life? The interesting thing is at the end of 1 Kings chapter 1, Adonijah ends up bowing down to Solomon. It's a perfect picture the one who thought he can make himself king bowing before the real king. Some of us in here today need to realize we're not king. That we stink at being king. You need to realize that we're not living, we're just existing. Because we placed ourselves on the throne. Today for a lot of us, we need to humble ourselves before our heavenly father. And he promises that if we'll humble ourselves, he'll exalt us. He'll lift us up out of the mire, out of the muck, out of the sin, out of the death. And He'll give us life. I think we all say we want life. The question is, are we really ready to surrender to the one who can give it to us? I'm going to pray, and I just want you to ask yourselves while we're praying. If God's the king of your life, if Jesus is truly on the throne of your life, is the decisions you're making, Are they in line with someone whose life is surrendered to the King of Kings?